We're in the middle right now of a series called Timing. Uh, it's been a great series so far, and I pray you've been uh, inspired by it, challenged by it, uh, and everything in between that as well. And so I pray uh, it's been a good series for you. But really, we're going to continue on this morning. And some things we kind of learn on the journey or understand about God and God's timing. One thing I believe is, is God is sovereign. God is God is Lord, God is King, and in that, there is some things where God just does what God wants to do. Uh, where, where God, you know, a couple of Sundays ago, I was talking about how I was being, you know, being on a work site every now and again, you'd have someone come in, or even customers at times, and try and tell you how to do your job, and you'd politely listen and then walk out and just carry on doing your job, how the job should be done. And often we treat God the same way. We try and tell God how he should be doing his job, and we walk out of the room, and God just keeps being God. And this is idea that God has a plan. He's got a redemptive mission uh, for this, this world. God has things in motion, and God is sovereign, and God is going to be God. And so my relationship with God is not so much about me trying to get God on board with my plan, but about helping me understand what God is doing and how do I align my life with God. Often there's a lot of people right now trying to align God with their life. How do I create a God that fits in my world? fits in my beliefs, fits in my understanding. But the reality is we're not to try and make God fit us. We're there to help to learn to understand how, to, how do I adjust my beliefs to fit what God is doing, who God is? How do I adjust my life to fit the mission that God has or the life that God's called me to? And so there's this, this element like God is in control here. And, but then there's also this element where there is the sovereign plan of God, but also at times where God is also a personal God and, and God at times would shift things and change things in our world to, to help us. And quickly, just to look at a couple of quick things this morning, if you look at, there's a few ways that God uses time. Well, there's a, there's a lot of ways God uses time, but uh, for the sake of time, there's a few ways that God uses time. And one of the ways that we, we discover as you look through Scripture pretty early on is that God uses time or God creates space in our life uh, to prepare us. That there is a difference between the moment we're called and the moment we're commissioned. It's, it's like you look through the stories of, of even the Old Testament. There's a, there's a moment as a young boy, as many of you know, David gets called that sense of he gets anointed as, 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 he gets anointed as king, but he doesn't get the authority as a king until later on. That there, is a, there is a space, there is a lot of time between him being given the anointing for it and him actually having the authority for it. And, and God uses time to develop him, to prepare him. It's the same with Joseph as a young boy gets a dream of, of, of what God's calling him to, but there's a lot of time before the dream becomes a reality. There's time when we hear the call of God, and then there's times we were commissioned into the call of God. And there's often space between that, and that space God creates space to prepare us. Because the question is, well, well, why tell a young boy you're going to be king when you're not going to give him the position until later on? Like, why not just tell him later on? Like that, you ever had that annoying feeling like someone walks up to you, they're like, oh, I've got something to give you. I'll give it to you later. And then you, they walk away and you're like, well, what is it? Why tell me? Like, why, why not just tell me? When you, or, or someone will say, hey, hey, we need to catch up. I've got something I need to let you know. And then you're waiting until you catch up. So now, it's like, why didn't you just tell me then? Why? And, and the question is, is, why did God tell David as a kid that he's going to be king? Why not just wait until the moment? 
Because there's something of the call and the understanding that caused him, I believe, to cause him to have a mentality and a perspective to be able to view the preparation season through. Otherwise, for Joseph, even all the journey he had to go, if he didn't have a dream of what was to come, he wouldn't have had the right perspective to understand what he was going through. And the call gives us a sense of now, okay, I've got a perspective to view my preparation through. Until I step into the actual season, until I step into the, into the time, there's times where, where the reality is, is God calls, even like if we look at David and, and Job, God called them, but then they had to grapple with things. They had to grapple with the idea that this isn't going to plan. They had to grapple with, do I really believe what God said and God didn't say? Do I really believe? They had to grapple with some of their beliefs, their thoughts. They had to grapple. But that grappling with the between the called and commissioned is what actually built the, the conviction, the confidence, the ability to step into it. And without knowing earlier, they wouldn't, there would have been some things they wouldn't have grappled with. They would have just gone with. But there was moments where Joseph would have been in prison going, but God, I thought you said and that grappling would have established a stronger foundation in God. And sometimes there's space between what God calls us to and the moment God commissions us to it. It enables us to actually grapple with things. And I believe there's a sense where sometimes we've got to wrestle with some of the things of God, and it's in the wrestling we, de- we develop the strength. And so God, God prepares us, uses time to prepare us. God uses time to renew us, to renew our thinking, to renew our understanding. There's space between things often, and some of that space between seasons is actually to renew our mind before the next season. Some people would finish up one season and go, well, I'm, I'm a bit unsure of the next. And sometimes God creates a space because the way of thinking of your last season needs to be renewed for you to take hold of a new season. And so there's space in it so we can, we can renew our mind. You know, you look at the Israelites, many of us know that story, and we know, we know the journey, the 40 years in the wilderness, that they didn't just have a bad tour guide. It shouldn't have taken that long. It's like, yeah, I, I remember a friend taking me on a bushwalk, it got us lost for a whole 24 hours. Terrible tour guide. It was supposed to be a three-hour trip. The Israelites didn't have a bad tour guide. God created time to test them. Not so he could discover what was in them, so they could face some of the, the wrong thinking, some of the wrong dependencies, some of the wrong... It took them time to come to a point where, where they had to face that they were still dependent on some of the Egyptians' way of thinking. But unless they had time, they wouldn't have come to a point of confronting some of those challenges. If the trip was just three weeks long, they wouldn't have had the space to confront some of those deeper, those deeper ways of thinking, those, those deeper things. And sometimes God will give you time to bring you to a point where you need to confront, confront some of the things. The other thing God will often use at times is God also uses time to bring healing create space, space for healing. And now some of the ways that God uses time, but today what I want to look at is just one way that we use time. How do we use time? There's many ways we choose to use time, but one of the ways I, I, I want to look at how we use time is I want to start by looking at a story. It's a very well-known story, even if you haven't been in church for very long. I want to look at the story of Adam and Eve. 
Uh, many of us are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. And uh, there's this, this moment, as we know the story goes, where there's the, some fruit in the garden that they were instructed not to eat from. And then there's this moment where Adam and Eve, where particularly Eve, gets talking uh, to the serpent in the tree and gets convinced to take the apple, convinced to do what God had asked them not to do. And in that creates creates a space or distance between them and God. There's this, there's this moment where Eve enters into a conversation but, but God doesn't actually show up till a little, little bit later, which, which is quite interesting. It poses a few questions. Is why didn't God show up in the middle of the conversation? Why, why, why didn't God show up at the start? Why didn't God show up when, when, God, when Eve first approached it? Why didn't God show up then? Why did God wait? Why did God give Eve space, Adam space? Why did he sit and watch and give them an opportunity? And the reality is, well, there's many things to be made of that, but one of the thoughts you can make of that is, well, at the end of the day, God desires willing obedience. That God isn't a helicopter God. <laughs> he'll come when we ask him, but he won't, he, he, he'll give us space to make decisions. And the fact that they had the, the willing to disobey was necessary so they had actually the willingness to obey. If God removed the ability for them to disobey, He also removes the ability for them to willingly obey. You look at even when Jesus shows up, he, what His call was very much a willingness to obey what God was saying. Jesus didn't push His teaching. He, he was clear in His teaching, but let a willingness for people to engage in it or not. And for there to be a willingness to obey, there also needs to be the opportunity to disobey. And God doesn't want us to just, just follow because, because we have to. There actually needs to be a willingness in our heart to say, no, this is, God, I choose, I choose willingly to obey. Because the other question is, well, why did God put a serpent in the garden anyway? Why did he put it there anyway? And, and part of that is, is because at the end of the day, unless, unless God allows there to be options, like I said, for, in order there to be good, there has to be evil. In order for, for, for us to make the right choice, there has to be the option for the wrong choice. In order, in order for, for us to choose good, there has to be an option for us to choose bad. And God's desire was not that we would choose bad, but He created the ability so we could choose good. God's design was not for us to choose bad. God doesn't, create, God doesn't create that as part of his, it wasn't that God has asked humans to be bad, it's that humans have chosen bad. Where God's design was that we would choose good, we would choose life, we would choose Him. And the removal of the challenge actually also removes the ability for us to be able to develop strength. In order to call out the ability in Adam and Eve to have true dominion over the land, they also had to be allowed to face some of the challenges in the land. And without the challenges, there wasn't the, going to be the ability to pull out the full sense of strength. And there's times in our life where God will actually create space to enable us to face challenges. Not that we would come under those challenges, but we would learn to overcome those challenges that we'd learn to choose God in the midst of those challenges. But removing those challenges also removes that, that freedom to choose it, that freedom to choose it. So what happens is once they step outside of God's design, 
Uh, and many, if you've been around church for long enough, you, you'll understand this, but for those maybe visiting us today, the, the first feeling Adam and Eve feel when they eat the apple is the first feeling, as you know, is they feel a sense of shame. The first feeling they come across was, was shame. It's almost like when it comes to sin, the act of sin isn't even enough for the enemy. What he does is he also attaches emotion to that sin that then draws you into a deeper separation. Sin in our life causes a separation between us and God. What shame does is it even isolates you further. It causes you not to be able to confront the distance, but actually draw away from that relationship further. The emotion that attaches itself to the sin is shame. And at the end of the day, there's actually still shame today that's causing a lot of people to, to avoid confronting some of the, the truth we need to confront to find the freedom we desire to, to find. That actually what happens here is they go from a, a place where decisions were made out of freedom to now where the decision-making becomes decisions made from shame. Before that eating the apple exposed you to sin, they made, they made decisions based on a, a solid foundation and understanding of their identity and purpose in God. But instantly what happens is that now all of a sudden their decision-making comes from a place of shame. All of a sudden the question they're asking themselves is, well, what's shame telling us to do? What's my shame telling me to do right now? And that's a confronting question at all ages of life at different times to say, what's shame asking you to do right now? Some of those areas in our life that, that shame would ask us to isolate, to hide, to, to just remain where God's actually designed us to move forward. And so the first response is shame, but the first response to that feeling then is to cover and hide, not to confront. That at the end of the day, they end up believing a false narrative about themselves, about the shame, because of what shame's led them to. And so they, they decide to, to cover and hide in a sense that shame causes them to lose themselves and lose themselves in God. And so they're covering hiding. And then what happens as the story goes, and we're getting to where I want to get to today in a moment, is God shows up again on the scene. Well, God makes his presence known. God was always there. Makes his presence known to them in that moment. And the question is, what, well, what's the first response to being confronted with what happened? That this is kind of the first moment we can see or we have where humanity had an opportunity to take responsibility. It's the first moment where, where humanity had a chance to take responsibility for some of the mistakes we've made in our life and the mistakes we've made in our world. And, and it's quite interesting what, what happens because actually the first response to being confronted and given an opportunity to take ownership, instead of taking ownership, we develop excuses. We develop excuses. In fact, in Genesis 3, I want to just read this part of the story to us. In Genesis 3, 8 to 12, it says this, The man and his wife, talking about Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among, amongst the trees. But the Lord God called to them, Where are you? He answered, this to Adam, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid as I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Um, have you eaten from the tree? And then uh, Adam res responds by saying, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. 
Adam's first response to the opportunity to take ownership was not to take ownership, but to actually create an excuse. It was the woman that you put here. It was the woman that you put here. In fact, the reality is in our fallen nature, we are more comfortable with avoiding the responsibility than confronting what needs to be confronted. And so he builds an excuse to build a a way of avoiding. In fact, first he blames Eve and then he blames God. He, in a sense, tries to create a scapegoat, a way out of him having to take ownership of where he's at. And at the end of the day, our fallen nature is more towards avoiding than it is confronting. Building reasoning why we fail rather than confronting our fallen nature in itself. And then at the end of the day, because what happens in life, we're faced with gaps. Like Adam's faced with the gap here, we're faced with gaps of what I should have done and what I have done. Who, who, who I am and who I wanted to be. Where, where I am and where I wanted to be. And at times, sometimes we're held in the gaps of, of the reality and the ideal that we want to live with. And because at different times, not all the times, we're confronted with the reality of our own humanity, the question is in the, that moment that, that we find more comfort in making excuses than we're willing to face the freedom of ownership. The freedom of ownership. In fact, a, a number of years ago, I was hanging out at a friend's house and he had a younger brother called Cairo. And uh, Cairo was about 12 years old and he was making us a cup of tea, uh, as any, any well-behaved child does. And, uh, and so we're sitting there and uh, I'm the only one in the kitchen at the time. He, he's, he's at the table. They had a table kind of just off the kitchen. And uh, he, he's making the cup of tea on, on the table and everyone else is out of the room. And I knew Cairo quite well. And he's standing there, he makes it all and then he grabs the two cups and as he grabs them, he's, he's just eager because he wanted to get back to ga- his game. And so he's eager just to get the tea to us. And so he turns and as he turns like that, all the tea just spills on the floor. And he looks at the floor, looks directly at me. I didn't say anything. I'm just sitting there watching him. Looks directly at me in the, in the eyes and goes, it wasn't me. He saw me watch him make the mistake. I didn't even say anything, but instantly inside of him was this feeling to say, it wasn't me. And then I was like, well, who was it? And then he goes, it was your fault. And I'm like, he's like, it's your cup of tea. And, and instantly what he's doing is he's building a reasoning why it's not his responsibility. Why he doesn't take, have to take ownership of his own mess. And, and after, often at times, uh, we do this along, along the journey, is at the end of the day, because the question is, is, is initially we make it as an excuse, but how long do we make that excuse until we start believing it? And the danger is, is not the excuses that we know that are excuses. Those ones we work with, the danger is what are the excuses we're using that we're unaware of? What are some of the excuses even you're blind to? that you've used and built up an idea and built up an understanding around that has now justified you in saying, well, that's not my mess. Or if it's my mess, it's not my fault. Because at the end of the day, we, uh, we, we, we take more comfort in creating reasons to avoid, avoid ownership. In fact, at the end of the day, I would say, I don't think anyone wakes up stupid. I don't think anyone actually wakes up stupid. I think we journey towards stupid. 
because the day, the day, like I remember as a teenager, highly stupid time in my life. And it was a journey to get there, but we got there quite well. You know, I, I remember having to sitting in front of a nurse one day at a hospital because I had some friends, <laughs> good friends. That when someone get injured, when we out, I did a lot of skating, different stupid things in my life. And uh, when someone got injured, the rule was, well, we'll drop you at the door. But at the door, after you get through the door, you're on your own. <laughs> and so some friends had dropped me at the door, and I'm sitting in front of the nurse, and she, she asked this question of me, oh, how did this happen? I grazed my whole leg. Uh, it does done a whole damage to my side. And she goes, oh, how did this happen? How it happened is, first of all, I started hanging out with the wrong people. Uh, and now there's friends that make you smarter and there's friends that make you more stupid. And uh, on the weekends, it's the stupid ones that are more fun to hang out with. And so uh, I'm with a group of friends. We used to do this thing growing up in a small town where um, we, because uh, at night after about five o'clock, there's no one around, and uh, we 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 get towed down the street on our skateboards uh, behind a car, and the game was how long could you hold on for, and the last person holding on was the bravest, not the most stupid, the bravest, and uh, that's how we. And anyway, I, I won. All right, we got up to about sixty clicks in the. I just want to let you know that. All right, it's irrelevant to the story, but I won. Uh, it got to about sixty kilometers, and and then let go because when you let go, you kind of just ride to the end. Anyway, we the guy turns the car around, and comes past me, and as he's driving past me, he sees a shopping trolley. And he goes, "Bro, you know, it'd be an awesome idea if you get in the trolley, and I'll tow you." Now, again, we had journeyed to this point of stupidity. The, the, the first instant when someone, it, it started with, with us, us going about 10 kilometers down the road gently, and then it got faster and faster. And so now we're at this point where I'm in a shopping trolley getting towed by this car. And then I let go, and the, you can't control a shopping trolley, by the way. And it just hit the curb, and I went out of the trolley and along the curb. And that's how I ended up in front of the nurse. And I'm sitting there in front of the nurse, and she goes, didn't you know that was a stupid thing to do? I was like, I do now. <laughs> but because it was a progression towards stupidity, I didn't see it. Because we made excuses on why it's not stupid. And that's what we do with life in different areas. We progress towards stupidity. Because along the road, we make decisions that to, to, to avoid confronting some of, some of the conviction on that journey. We, we make ways along that. At the end of the day, that, that there is often a slide in our decision-making that ultimately leads us to a point of realization of, how did I end up here? Well, your decision-making slid over time. Well, because when you're confronted with different realities, you didn't, you didn't own them and take ownership. What do you, you create excuses to engage further on this line of thinking. And it's not until you come to a point of, oh, wow, this is a lot worse than what I ever thought. How did I end up here? How did this happen? You never decided to that point, but you found yourself there. Why? Because you allowed a slide in decision making. Because along the journey, God gives us the ability, the ability to confront some of the small decisions. But we choose not to. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing that happened with the servant and Eve. The snake came and first it just started bringing confusion to her beliefs and then started feeding lies. She didn't wake up that morning and say, you know what, I'm going to cause sin to enter the world. I don't think she woke up that way. But decision-making led her that way. Why? Because on that journey, she didn't stop to actually confront 
actually is what he's saying. Oh, she didn't even stop. Hey, wait a minute. I might just go and get God involved in this conversation. Because what you're saying, okay, I hear it, but I just got to go check with God. I think he's coming soon. Can we, I'll come back with God. We don't do that when we're confronted. At times, we, we just want to avoid the problem. We just want to avoid. Why? Because at the end of the day, it can be uncomfortable to confront. And it's uncomfortable to confront someone else. It's really hard when it's uncomfortable to confront yourself at times. And at the end of the day, is, is people, people build ideas that enable us to live outside of, to live in comfort outside of God. And it's really dangerous when you've actually built an idea, a way of thinking that has appeased that feeling of conviction. Because you're building comfort in a way to live outside of God's plan for your life. And at the end of the day, we end up somewhere where, where, where we don't want to be. And Because at, at times, what happens when it comes to avoiding, even one of the ways we make excuses when it comes to avoiding, is we actually avoid, the, we avoid problems by creating lesser problems, more acceptable problems. You know, I took to our youth leaders at times, sometimes you're hanging out with a teenager. Uh, if you've been a youth leader at any point in time, it's going to demand you at some point to have to buy kids McDonald's. It's just part of the job description. And uh, you're, you're at, at Macca's with a group of teenagers, and a bunch of them will buy their own food, and then there's always a couple of kids that can't buy food. And so you're standing there with these teenagers, it's happened so many times, and you're like, hey, are you hungry? I'll, I'll buy you something. I'll buy you something. And what they say is this, they say, oh, no, I'm not hungry. You're like, I know you're hungry. I'll buy you something. They're like, nah, it's all good. I ate yesterday. <laughs> one, day, one day a meal, one meal a day plan. But the reality is that, is that they're not, the, the problem isn't that they're not hungry. The problem is that they're broke and finding it hard to admit that. But what we do is we mask it. We mask a deeper, more vulnerable problem with a lesser, more acceptable problem. And I believe one of the things we use time for is that I believe we actually use time as a mask. There's ways we can use time to actually mask some things. Some of the, some of the ways we use time as a mask is, you ever used it this way? At the end of the day, we say this statement, oh, I just don't have time. Like, I'd love to, but I just don't have time. What that really is, is is a mask, because at the end of the day, you know how much time you have. One of the most certain things in this life is the sun's going to go up. Whether you see it or not, it's been on cloudy it is, and the sun's going to go down. That time is time. There's 24 hours in a day. You you can't make it, whatever you want to do. You can't do anything. You know what time you have. The thing is that you don't have it. You don't, it's like, oh, I just ran out. No, you haven't made time. And we use that sense of, oh, I just don't have time, what, as a mask for our priorities. What, what, I, what I don't want to say is, oh, I don't consider that a priority. But that's harder to say. It's easier to just say, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. Now, what you've done, if you, you've got a list of priorities in your world and you've chosen other priorities, whether that's right or wrong, up to you. It depends on your priorities. But we use, mask, we use time as a mask to not have to reassess our priorities. Oh, sorry, I've just been busy and, and I just don't have enough time. Instead of going, oh, sorry, I need to sit down because some of my priorities aren't right. Or saying at the end of the day, nobody wants to say this to anybody, but sorry, sorry, that's, not just a, that's just not a priority in my world. We're not that mean, so we don't say that. But the danger is not when you just say that to other people, it's when you say it to yourself. 
fooling yourself that you don't have enough time. Because you're not willing to sit down and say, how am I prioritizing my life right now? And, I'd, and it's easy to say I don't have time for it rather than say, you know what, I haven't made a priority for that. Man, be, I don't have time for a moment with God in the morning. No, you don't have a priority of God in your morning. It's not a time thing. But we use time as a mask for our priorities. We use time as a mask for our procrastination. Oh, sorry, I ran out of time. It's like, no, you didn't run out of time. You were just a bit afraid to, and so you delayed, and you procrastinated. Because I'm unsure, because I'm afraid, because I feel out of my depth, because I don't know if I have the emotional capacity for that just yet. There's many reasons why I didn't do it. But time's an easy one to say. We tell ourselves, oh, oh, sorry, I, I ran out of time. I'll get to it. And we use it as a mask of our procrastination, but the question is, and then people use procrastination as a mask. I'm just a procrastinator. Well, why? Why are you procrastinating? Let's ask that question. Is it, is it a fear? Is it a worry? <laughs> got, some, got some fan up in the top there. Let's go. Is it? Is it <laughs> you're good, you're good. And... But at the end of the, end of the day, you've got to ask yourself, why procrastination? Saying I'm a procrastinator in this world, especially for younger people, is, is, it's an acceptable thing to say. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, okay. Somebody's got, no, what, what's leading that procrastination? What's leading that? But we don't like that one. It's not so comfortable. The other ways we use time is we use, we use it as a, a mask we use it to mask the reality of the present. We, we think at, 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 oh, oh, time will solve it. Our time will take care of it. At the end of the day, at times, we, we use the busyness of today to mask the reality of today. We think, oh, I'll get around to it tomorrow. And we put so much hopes in tomorrow. Oh, this is something I'm facing today, but I'll just leave it because I'm pretty sure, you know, by tomorrow it should be fine. It should sort itself out. At the end of the day, yeah, there are some things that time can heal and time can deal with. But and so I'm not talking in extremes. I'm not talking. I'm not talking everything's a problem. But there is times where we use that pattern of thought to avoid. Say no, time's not going to sort that out. Time's not going to sort your money management out. Like that's just not going to happen tomorrow. Oh, I'll be right tomorrow. No, no, that, that's not going to happen. There's actually times. In fact, I like what Matthew talks about in Matthew six verse thirty four. In the Passion Translation, it says this, Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way, one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And there's power in being able to stop and just confront today. Well, what can I do today? Sometimes we like to, like to, to, to speak in, in forevers. Oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to do that. I'm going to go, well, what are you going to do about that today? In fact, even when people are struggling through things, sometimes the idea of, okay, I'm going to break this addiction, the, the idea of I'm going, to, I'm going to withhold from this forever is a daunting idea. The better question is, say, okay, today can you do it? 
Let's just take care of today. Can you withhold today? Okay, I think I can get through today. Okay, wake up in the morning tomorrow and just go, okay, today can you do with it? And the more you take care of today, you know, when when me and Lily get married, we, we vow to be faithful to each other. And it's my heart that we will remain faithful. How do I approach that? Not just by going, oh, I'm just going to be, no, today I'm going to be faithful. Today I'm going to be the best husband I can be. And then I wake up tomorrow, okay, today I'm going to be faithful. Today I'm going to be the best husband. Why? Sometimes when we take things away from the forever language and go, what about today? What are you going to do today? How are you going to be, oh man, I really want to be a good person. Well, how are you going to be a good person today? I really want to be a person of faith. Cool, what does that look like today? And sometimes we use forever language to remove, oh yeah, I'm going to do that to remove responsibility from us saying, well, what does that look like today? I want to live a healthy life. Cool. What does that look like for lunch? <laughs> I've, I got myself on that one. <laughs> so, oh, Leela's sick. I was going to go through the drive-thru. But anyway, <laughs> now I'm accountable to all you people. All right. This isn't live stream. No, she won't know. No. Uh, how, how are we going to take care of today? And we use forever to avoid today, confronting today. And the last one on the other side of that is that the times we use today <laughs> to avoid the forevers. <laughs> I like when, when God, you know, at different times, often we, when things are a long way off, it's like, oh yeah, we'll deal with it when it comes. And, it, and there's long way off problems and you can see by our planet how that's worked for us. Long way off, oh, that they would face that when it happens. Well, how you solve it is, is, is again, today, but I've got to care about the forever to give me guidance for how I behave today. And I, I like what happens with David, because David, towards the end of his reign as king, gets the heart to build God a temple. Says, I want to build God a temple. Comes to God. Good ambition, good heart. God's, the meeting place of God has been in a tent, and God comes, David goes, no, God. That God shouldn't, should have a place, a magnificent place. God turns around to David and says, it's the right thing, but it's the wrong time. It's actually your son. It's the next generation that's going to do that. Right thing, wrong time. What I like about David is David doesn't then just go, oh, cool, not my problem. I'll live for here and now. What he does, I like what it talks about in First Chronicles, the account of this in verse... 22, uh, sorry, chapter 22 and verse 3, it says, he provided a large amount, this is talking about David, provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted. And then in verse 5, it says, David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be great and magnificent and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. David lived in a way and prepared something that he was never going to see, but made sure the next generation had something to inherit. He lived for the next generation. He lived. In fact, we know even... Scripture talks about that a good man stores up an inheritance for his children's children. 
that while there's some things we need to face today, we also need a picture of what's ahead and what are we doing about that today. I remember a few years ago sitting down with my mother and brother and sister had started having kids and some grandkids in the family. So she starts getting a bit nervous, but worried about the inheritance she's going to be able to leave. Saves me one day because life's been difficult at times for mom. She goes, I'm not going to be able to leave much of an inheritance. She's talking financially. Now I've got other family members that might be able to do that a bit better. I remember sitting there and I don't know just what it was, but just felt in, in a moment, I said, mom, you've left the greatest inheritance you can ever leave us. You've left a life that tells a story of you can trust God in any situation, in any season. Your grandchildren need that. They need your trust in God more than they need your financial ability. They need your trust in God. It's the greatest thing I'm ever, I, I don't care if I, I get a cent. I'm thankful that mum led a life that led me to Jesus. Not casually, but passionately towards God. To value the house of God. Value the plan of God. Value God. The question we've got to ask ourselves is even in our today, how's that setting up our forever? What's the next generation of Christianity going to look like in our country? How are people going to perceive Christianity in 2050? Oh, that's not our problem. It is our problem. The way we live today determines what they perceive tomorrow. The way we live, we act. The church that of tomorrow is really set up by the church of today. How we live today, how we live here and now. But we can easily just go, oh, that's someone else's problem. But there's times where, where we, we just go, oh, that's someone else's problem because we want to avoid the reality that that's going to cost me something here and now. It's going to cost me something in my today that I might not even have a part of. But I'm willing to live a life here today to set up the tomorrow. Not for me, but what's to come. And at the end of the time, sometimes we just use time as an excuse. An excuse at times to avoid confronting some of the uncomfortable truths.